Amen. Have a seat. And howdy. Oh, uh, my name is Kevin Bear. I'm the college pastor here, and I have been out for a couple weeks, and, uh, and I felt so distant, and I am so glad to be back with you guys in this last week before spring break. How y'all feeling? This is the last week before spring break. This is the push. Uh, I'm sure you've got 30 exams, or you're going to go on spring break and have 30 exams when you come back. <laughs> Gotta love those profs and their timing. Uh, we are going to be in uh, our last uh, look at Proverbs, and uh, just to kind of give you a foreshadowing of what's coming, we're going to do a journey to the cross. We're going to do three weeks looking at uh, the life of Jesus up until he goes to his crucifixion on Easter when we get back, so that'll be a lot of fun. So if there's uh, some friends that, that you have that have actually never kind of looked at the life of Jesus as he journeys to the cross, that would be a great three, week, three weeks to bring them to, so that's when we're getting back from spring break. So I'm going to read just one passage for us, one verse, uh, pray for us, and then we will jump back in. So Proverbs, um, and once again, in this Proverbs series, we are all over the place, so don't feel bad if you can't uh, follow along in your little sword drill, uh, but all these verses and stuff are going to be online later on. Proverbs 16, verse 3 says this, Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, for its purpose. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much that you have given us this space in which to worship you. Thank you so much for this school that has really opened their doors to us uh, and our staff and our team to, to be here and to partner with them and, and use this space. We just we praise you and thank you for that. And Lord, we thank you for this university that you have um, put here in College Station, really the middle of nowhere, but you have brought people from all over the nation and all over the world to study at this university. And I thank you that we get to have a church at a strategic center in which to call people first to you, Jesus, but also send them into the world, into the working world with your grace, with your gospel, with the hope that they might change every new environment they come in contact with. And so, Lord, as we open up your word and we talk about the reality of work and what you've called us to in work, I pray that we could be men and women that see our work as not about building our own kingdom, but building your kingdom. And not about building our own name, but building your name. Not building our own financial peace, but actually spreading the peace of the gospel of Jesus Christ no matter where we land in this world. So Lord, that's bigger than anything we can muster in a sermon, anything we can do. So Lord, we pray that through this morning, we might get a God-sized vision for work so that we might leverage our lives for your greater glory. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're talking about work this morning. And that's why you're here. Am I right? That's why your parents are paying thousands of dollars for you to be here. Uh, you are here at Texas A&M University. You're here at the university for the sake of getting skills that will hopefully translate into a career. Most of you are here to get work. I mean, I know there's the other education. You're like, yeah, Kevin, no, no. I'm here to like get friends and be in sororities and fraternities and lead or campus organizations. Yeah, yeah, those are all part of it. Your parents are like, I'm so glad you're doing that. But what are you going to do after your four plus years are over? Are you going to get a job and what are you going to do the rest of your life? And, and that's true. You know that internally. And here's what's fascinating about work. When you're young, 
there's so much excitement about the pursuit of a career. I mean, I hear it from you because you have interviews with organizations, interviews with businesses, and you go to those interviews and you're just like, okay, this company's coming in town. I don't know how it's going to go, but I'm going to sit down there with that guy or with that girl, and I'm going I'm to tell them that I'm amazing, and they need me, and I will do everything that, that, that under the Lord um, is legal for me to do for you, and I will do a great job at your workplace. And you sit there, and you have that interview, and you're excited about that career opportunity. There's so much excitement. Or there's that internship you're hoping to get. Anyone have an internship this summer? Oh, praise God. Everyone else hates you, but congratulations um, to you. You have that internship, and so you, you set through those interviews. You applied to those organizations, and they said, yes, we want you, and you're like, I want you too, and, and you match, and you're going, and so there's so much excitement about what you're going to be doing this summer, but what's fascinating is what happens in your 20s in that excitement for work. There's some transition that happens midway through. In fact, you talk to a lot of people in their 40s, and they don't have the same expressions when it comes to the reality of work. Some of them are saying phrases like this. Henry David Thoreau says this, The mass of men live lives of quiet desperation. And you're like, that's, that's not a phrase I want to say. <laughs> like every day, I'm desperate for something else, right? There's a poem by L.E. Sisman. He says this, Men past 40 get up at nights and look out at sea lights, wondering where they made the wrong turn and why life is so long. Why did excitement turn to such despair? (laughs) Right? I mean, and and you see this. You may see this in your parents. You may see this in your friends that are in the working world that are out ahead of you a couple years. You're just like, how is it out there on the other side? And they're like, yeah, I've got this career in engineering. Another day, another grind. You know, like you just, you, you see this and it's for some reason, that excitement when you're young, for some of us, gets beaten down as we get old. And there's a reason for that. Because this is your future. For those of you that say, I want to move to Dallas, where's your internship? Dallas. I want to go to Dallas because it's amazing. There's cowboys there. It's great. A lot of people like Dallas. In fact, I've read, uh, read some studies on your commute and your future. Uh, <laughs> most people in Dallas... Spend 55.8 minutes each day going to and from the office, which equates to 436 days in a 45-year career. You spend over a year of your life in your career here. Oh, gosh. You're like, no, Kevin, I'm not going to go to Dallas. I'm going to Houston. (laughs) It's going to be totally different. It's going to be totally different when I'm there because the drivers are much friendlier and uh, more understanding. It's going to be totally different. I'm just telling you about your future of work. There's a reason people feel the grind. It's because you spend years of your life here and, and you're like, that's why I'm going to go to small town America. Yeah, let me just tell you about your life, even in small town America. From 7.30 a.m. until 6 p.m., you are working or getting your children somewhere. If you have children, you are getting up early, making them breakfast, getting them dressed, get out the door, get out the door. That's your future. And you're going to go home at 6 p.m. And if you don't have kids, you're just going to chill and watch Netflix. It's going to be so great for you. 
Those of you that are blessed with a spouse and have children from 6 until 9 p.m., your responsibility is gopher. You will go for this and go for that and go for this and go for that. You will go from one organization to another. Your kids are doing soccer and then basketball and then dance and then tap. And, then, and you're just like, what? Where did my life go? Where are you going next? And I'm like, and I'm cheering you on here, right? You know, like everything <laughs> is their next activity. And then you're like, well, where's your free time? Yeah, okay, around 9 o'clock at night, you have your, your energy stores are full because you got up at 6. And... And you sit there and you look at your spouse and you go, we, we did it. We, we did it. This is it. And we did it. Together. We did it. And then you go to sleep. And then you get up. And you did it. And I'm not trying to depress you. I'm trying to expose you. To the reality of your future. And the miss. The miss isn't the hard part of work and the hard part of raising families and the hard part of living a life in the future. That is not the miss. The miss is this. When you're doing all of those things and you haven't connected it to any greater meaning. When you're working hard and all the things you're doing, you've missed the meaning for the work. And that's when people get depressed. When they're expending all of this energies, but there's no connection to some larger story. There's no connection to anything larger than you just getting this little electronic thing made to go into some cell phone that some person in China makes. You know, there's, there's no connection to some greater meaning because for many of us, we lost the meaning of work. And so work, work rules us for some of us. And for some of us, work disappoints us. And for others, this work becomes our identity, and we're going, is, is that an identity I even want? And so what I want to do this morning is this. I'm not going to tell you what job you need to take. I'm not going to tell you where you need to go in life. I'm just going to tell you this. You should be seeking to connect your work to God's greater work. You should be looking for a clear connection between the meaning of what God is doing in the world and what God has put you in this world to do. There should be a clear connection between your work and God's work. And if we miss that connection, we miss the meaning of life. Because I am for hard work, but I am not for meaningless work. And if you don't connect your work to God's work, it will feel meaningless. And some of these statements, sadly, will be yours. So I want to give you... Three, three big ideas to sweep through. The design of work. What happens when we reject that design of work? And then a redefinition, a redefining what work actually is. The design, the rejection, and a redefining what work is and what work is for. So we're going to begin with the design. The, God's design of work. Here's the purpose of work. It's the, it begins with the creative action of God. Proverbs 8.22 says it this way. The Lord possessed me. That's in Proverbs 8. It's talking about wisdom. And in particular, wisdom that God used in creating everything. And I'm not going to read the entire chapter of Proverbs 8 to you, but you should go back and read it. And all of it is about wisdom being with God in the beginning when he did something. The Lord possessed me. That's wisdom at the beginning of his work. The first of his acts of old. 
See, God worked with wisdom, using wisdom to, to create everything that he created. So that's why you have life cycles that make sense. That's why you have uh, seasons that make sense. All of those things, God was using wisdom as he did something. He worked. And that's fascinating. Because God first, in his creative act, when he created the universe, he was working. So work is something that God does. And it's something that God doesn't do alone. In fact, the first person that he creates is Adam, and he stuck him in the garden, and he actually creates, but also gives Adam a place to create. That word work that is used in Proverbs 8 to describe what God did in the beginning when he created everything is actually applied to man in Genesis chapter 2. It says this in Genesis 2.5, when there was no bush on the field and yet in the land and no small plant in the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, there was no man to work the ground. That same work that God was doing with wisdom and fashioning everything, God created man and he gave him a place to work. So what does that say? It says that work is something God does, and it's something God gives man to be a part of. Join with me in the work that I'm doing. Cultivate the earth. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took man and put him in the garden to work and to keep it. I'm giving you, Adam, work to do. And that design of work is is to be a co-creator. God created this vast, beautiful land, and he says, I'm going to put a man in it to do the types of things that I'm doing, to labor, to struggle, to pour out your energy, to work hard in this world. It's a beautiful word. It's the word work used in this section is the word mepal in Hebrew, and it means this, the resulting product of energy expended to accomplish a deed. It means use your energy to create something beautiful. Now we know that work goes bad in the fall. Um, the world isn't as it should be. There's something that broke. When, when men took work and took it from their relationship with God, everything broke. And so the ground produces thorns and thistles. That's a description of how brokenness enters the world. But listen, just because brokenness entered the world doesn't mean God removed the, the call, the mandate, the, the opportunity to work. In Genesis 3.23, after man is, is told to leave the garden, God sent him out of the garden, verse 23 of Eden, to work the ground from which he was taken. He says the, the mandate, the description, the design, is for man still to work. He wants man to be a co-creator with him. And that's beautiful. There's something beautiful about taking raw materials and making something beautiful. There's something amazing about taking the raw materials that God has given us and to make something worthwhile. You were created to work. It is given by God. My wife and I, um, back when it was on uh, HGTV, loved the show Fixer Upper. And the reason we loved it is because that's exactly what Chip and Joanna do as a couple. It's just beautiful, right? You see them going into like this, these raw, uh, unloved homes, These ones that have been dilapidated and destroyed. And they took all those raw materials. They're like, this isn't right. And with their creativity and ingenuity, they make a a home that's beautiful. 
And I love that transformation process, taking this raw, destroyed thing and making it into something beautiful. That's what God is saying. I've given you opportunity to use your skills to craft something amazing. And what's amazing about Chip and Joanna is they do this constantly. This is their barn that they, or the farmhouse that they live in. But they even go beyond just like reframing houses, right, and, and building houses. Um, there's all sorts of things they're doing in Waco. Um, but one of the other things they do is, is uh, they have like cattle and like a bunch of children. And, and you're like looking at them and you're going, how is it that you have time to fix everyone's home, filling all of their dreams, right? And then like building your own dream and the dreams of animals. Like how are you like using your work to help everyone. And actually, that's why I just love watching this show. And I know they're not perfect. they got their own issues. But there's something beautiful about them taking things that are broken and making them thrive and live. And going into Waco, a very broken place. <laughs> Joking. And going to that community and making it thrive and making it live. And here's what God says. I don't, I don't care what your gifts are. I've given a variety of gifts, but I want you to take those. And I want you to promote human flourishing. I want you to be a co-creator like me in this world. To take these raw materials I've given you and make something beautiful. And the problem, though, is, is that when we take that mandate and we take it away from God's intent, when we take that mandate and we say, no, I, I want to I twist that, for my own ends or my own purposes, or I'm just going to outright reject the, your call to work hard. And here's the truth. Work isn't easy, okay? Work is difficult. These are very pretty pictures of raising cattle. Cattle smell. Cattle do things everywhere. You know, you just, there's a lot to clean up. There's a lot of work when it comes to raising cattles, cattle or raising a family, and I'll tell you what, there becomes a, a challenge when it comes to work because sometimes work doesn't produce what we want. It produces more thorns and thistles than life and thriving. You've experienced this through a lot of exams you've taken. You put the energy in and it doesn't produce the results you want. You didn't get the grade you wanted. You didn't get the opportunity you wanted. And there's a a discouragement, a disillusionment that can come with that. And there's a tendency within us, it's within me, to not live under God's design, but actually to reject the work that God has called me to do. And there's a word for that person in Proverbs. It's called the sluggard. Happy person. The sluggard is rejecting God's design and rejecting God's work in the world. And here's some descriptions of the sluggard from Proverbs 26. These are fun. Proverbs 26, verse 13, the sluggard says, there's a line in the road, there's a line in the streets, saying, I'm making excuses. There's always a reason not to work. Is there a line in the street? I don't know, but it's a reason for me not to do anything. It's raining outside, I can't do anything outside right now. I can't do anything, it's raining. Oh man, it's such a beautiful day, I can't go to work, it's too beautiful, right? Like, there's always a reason for an excuse, Proverbs 14, 26, 14. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard turn on his bed. It's your roommate you're trying to get up. Hey, buddy, hey, um, 
you haven't been to class in like, I don't know, like a semester. Like, you should go <laughs> today. Uh, I don't know, man. I don't know. Hey, should you get up and like do anything with life? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Is it already noon yet? Yeah, it's already noon. I'll get up at one. Yeah. Is it... There's a laziness to the slugger. There's always an excuse, always a reason not to work, and, and they're just lazy. Proverbs 15, 26, 15 says this, The sluggard buries his hand in the dish, and it wears him out to bring it to his mouth. Right? <laughs> hey, bud, are you going to Chick-fil-A? Okay, I'm just, man, I'm just, I'm wiped. I'm just going to, I mean, I've been sleeping all day, and I'm just going to be here. Are you going to Chick-fil-A? Like, I'll give you some money. I'll Venmo you. I'll Venmo you. I'll Venmo you. Right? You go pick it up. Like, he won't even go to get his own food, or she won't even go. Like, there's a laziness to this, and the sluggard is, is, is lazy, and the sluggard ultimately refuses to work. Proverbs 21, 25 says this, The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. The desire kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. That word labor is the same word used in Genesis chapter 1 where God says that he made the heavens. It says that he made the stars. He made the land. Every time it uses that word made, 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 made in Genesis chapter 1 where it talks about God's work to craft the world. It's that same word that's used here for the sluggard. He refuses to join in God's work. He refuses to labor like God labors. And there's, so there's a rejection, ultimately, of God's design. You were created to work. You were created to use your gifts and talents to bring what's chaotic life. You're created for that. There's something beautiful within that. There's a rejection of it. But lastly, we need a redefinition. How do we redefine what work is for. Well, I would tell you this. Many of us need to first reframe our picture of what work is. Work is not primarily about your career, for your future, for your advancement. Work is not about my career, for my future, for my advancement. I was uh, reading some articles online, and they talked about reframing. And reframing is this. It, it, it may be taking the same thing, like an old picture, and it's taking a new picture and putting it uh, in a new frame in a new place. It's taking something that may have been true. It's taking things like, like your schoolwork or your internship, or your career future, or all those different things. And it's taking that same thing and putting it in a new frame, and then, and then putting it in a new place. And then when you take something and put it in a new frame, in a new place, it changes everything about the room and everything about how you approach it. And I just took a couple of these uh, photos of taking old pictures, old ideas, and reframing them together. And there's something beautiful about this picture saying like, no, those are, those are old photos of a ship or a, or, or a countryside or, or whatever. And, and when you put them together and you put them in a new frame, in a new place, suddenly it changes the picture of the room. Some of you, that wasn't your vibe and maybe more this is your vibe. White, you know, you want that clean, crisp look. Let me tell you about your career. Your career probably needs to be reframed. Because many of us are asking the wrong questions when it comes to our work. 
We're asking about our advancement, not God's advancement. We're asking questions about our future, but not God's greater purposes. So Proverbs 16.3, what I read at the beginning of this is this. Here's your new frame when it comes to your work. We commit our work to the Lord until establish our plans. We commit our work. What, what does it mean to commit our work to the Lord? Well, the New Testament gives another framework to help understand what this means. Colossians 3.23 says it this way. Whatever you do, do your work heartily. So it means work passionately, heartily, as for the Lord rather than for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive a reward of an inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. The context of, of Colossians right here is actually written to, to people that are, that are in a slave work. Now, slavery in the New Testament was very different than our, um, the slavery that happened in our recent past. It's, it's a very different context. I don't have time to go into it. But his point is this. Even if you are in a position that you wish you could not be in, you work as unto the Lord and not for that person. So that boss that is oppressive to you or that boss that doesn't deserve your best, he's like, okay, ultimately your authority is not where this ends. I'm looking at God's authority. And I'm working heartily. And whatever God has given me, I'm working with, my, with passion and energy and enthusiasm because I know that ultimately every craft I create isn't for you, it's for the Lord. So when I'm working the drive-thru at Chick-fil-A, I say my pleasure because it is my pleasure to serve you a chicken sandwich for the Lord, right? Like I, I can trust him with this. And every copy you make at the internship that you have this summer, I'm so glad I got this internship. Great, grab me coffee, grab me coffee, make these copies. And you're just like, for the Lord, right? And you just, you do it. You do it heartily as unto the Lord because ultimately your work is about displaying his glory in this world. Martin Luther, part of the Protestant Reformation, had an amazing statement describing this in one of his sermons. He says, the prince, so it goes to the highest picture of authority or rulership. He says, the prince should think, Christ has served me and made everything to follow him. Therefore, I should also serve my neighbor, protect him and everything that belongs to him. He says, if you're given a position of authority, of rulership, here's how you should view that. Jesus Christ has served me. Therefore, my work is to see how I can serve them. And he goes on to say this in the same sermon. He says, this same is true for the shoemaker, the tailor, the scribe, or reader. If he's a Christian tailor, he should say, I make these clothes because God has bidden me to do so. So that I can earn a living, so that I can help and serve my neighbor. When a Christian does not serve the other, God is not present, and this is not Christian living. So your work is ultimately service rendered to God for the flourishing of others. So your work as an accountant is about serving God and helping others. Your work as a, as a construction worker is about serving God and serving others. And, and, and when people do that, when people view their work in that context, it brings it to life. It brings flourishing. I, there was a man who, was a, um, who built our home um, that Hillary and I now live in. Uh, his name is Cy, and he's a, um, oh gosh, he's, 
forget his term. He like directs the building of homes, whatever that title is. Construction science people, correct me later on. There you go, that. And he loved the Lord. And I remember sitting with him as, as he's building our home, and he's saying, like, I, I'm so glad to build your home because I know how you'll use it to serve others and serve the Lord. And he, we would literally pray on the steps of my home as he's helping to build my home. And I know that he would approach it differently. There was a guy that worked with him, underneath him, that had just come and he was doing an internship for the summer. And he just got to know that guy. And he said, hey, uh, you're doing great work here. This is awesome. Are you connected with a church? And the guy was like, no, I've been looking for one. And he pointed him to my church, even though he goes to a different church. And you just watch this man like build with excellence. And then anyone who came in contact with him, they were served and cared for. It was absolutely beautiful for him to say, my work is not ultimately about just building a great house, although I want to build a great house. It's about the flourishing of others in every aspect of life. And so what that means is we have to first reframe our work, but secondly, retrain our mind to work. And that's what... He says to the sluggard, he says, I want you to retrain your mind, sluggard. There's a tendency in all of us to be lazy and reject God's work that he's given to us. And he says this, I want you to go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief or officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in the summer and gathers her food and harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? My kids recently got an ant farm. And we went and stole ants from the neighbor's yard and put them into the ant farm because we wanted to watch what ants do. What do they do? You take them out of their place and you stick them into this foreign, uh, oppressive environment of an ant farm and they start digging holes and they start creating things. And, and I would have brought it, but my kids have like shook it up so many times like there's not a good network built. Um, <laughs> But ants do what ants do no matter where ants go. They build and they create even though no one's calling the shots. The same is true with us. Christian, no matter where God lobs you in the world, you take that opportunity and you do what a Christian does. We love God, we love people, we serve God, and we serve people. We do that heartily as unto the Lord and not to men. And I'll tell you what, when people see those characteristics lived out in you, it changes the game. It changes the game because work is about flourishing. It's not competition, it's not advancement, it's not career moves. It's about flourishing. DC comic artist David Gibbons said this, The highest calling is not being a pastor, but being all that God called you to be, namely a person who glorifies God in all you do. If you can do that drawing pictures for kids, you can do it anywhere. So what's the application? A couple things to think about in closing. The first is this. How can your work be better aligned with God's work? How can my work be better aligned with God's work? How am I approaching each exam, 
each test, each opportunity? Am I aligning it with God's work in the world or just my own personal benefit? Secondly, do you commit yourself to your craft as God has given it to you? Each exam is an opportunity to glorify God in your studies. Each job is an opportunity to glorify God in that craft. And thirdly, are you pursuing work to help human flourishing or personal benefit? How is your work helping other people thrive? That's the picture. That's God's picture of God-honoring work. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you that you have given us skills, you've given us talents, you've given us ability, you've given us opportunity to work. And Lord, I know there's a tendency in all of us to um, get frustrated when the work isn't turning out how we would want. But I pray that we might see our work in a new light. That we would frame it as we are people that are living under you, Lord, for the flourishing of others. And I pray that we would be men and women that approach our careers, our jobs, as opportunities to promote your greater glory and a picture of you in the world. So Lord, I lift up each student here as we approach our careers, as we approach even looking for jobs, we would first and foremost ask the question, Lord, what would you have me do? And how will this work most glorify you? We love you. Senior, we pray. Amen.